Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Jean-Marie Jobs with us here today, who started her training career in 1998. Jean-Marie is a master trainer, having delivered over 10,000 hours of in-person training time. Her experiences ranges from corporate markets in the U.S. to intercultural work in Canada, Holland, Africa, and the Middle East. Jean founded Gap Community, Inc., a nonprofit corporation in 1998, and Yellow Marker, Inc., consulting and training in 2012, with the vision of bringing character and values to the foreground personally and professionally. Jean has worked with large organizations such as Disney, ESPN, Microsoft, Interstate Batteries, United Airlines, and BMW in corporate culture and change management. Her specialties include leadership development, mastering mindsets, and communication team building. Jean also serves as a church at her church, Santa Rosa Christian Church, as an associate pastor. She has been on staff part-time since 1998, as well as 15 years of service as a volunteer law enforcement chaplain, retired in 2015. In 2018, Jean published her first book on leadership, The Art of Feeding Heroes, Leading from Inside Out. She's dedicated to unleashing passion. When people come alive, they bring creativity, enjoyment to their workplaces. Oh, I love that. Developing character, inviting people into their inherent greatness, synergies, relationship in every sector of life, and creating legacy. Each person has the opportunity to choose how they relate to their life, and in doing so, create an intentional mark on their relationships and their communities and their environments. Jean-Marie, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Jesse. I'm so excited to be here. Got to ask, with over 10,000 hours of in-person training, how was this last year for you of not being able to do the in-person thing? You know, it was really difficult. Um, it was almost a year ago, actually, right th- today, maybe, or tomorrow, that we went into shutdown here in Sonoma County. And I had just returned from a trip to Zambia. So I, I got home from an international trip, I think, on the 14th or 15th. And then within a day or two, everything was shut down. And within 48 hours, all the contracts that I had scheduled for the next six months got either postponed or canceled. And so it's like going 100 miles an hour and hitting a brick wall. And it was it was hard. That first uh, three or four months was just such a huge, huge adjustment for me. And I learned a ton about myself, not all things I really appreciate, but (laughs) my relationship to control, number one, but uh, it definitely, uh, it was an, it was an intervention that I didn't plan on. So how do you, how do you tackle that, Jean? I'm curious because I think that so many people probably ran into that wall in some capacity these last this last year of having the future kind of preset in whatever capacity and all of a sudden everything changes and it's gone. So how do you how do you address that? How do you deal with that when that happens? Well, I think uh, in a lot of ways I is the way I dealt with. It. I don't know if it was the best way, but I definitely did a good solid month of what I would call looking back just depression, where mm-hmm. it was really tough to get out of bed, to just do the small things, I would really focus on, okay, what can I be grateful for today? What's the one thing? What's the one thing? And and sometimes, you know, the one thing was finding the perfect coconut cupcake in Santa Rosa. You know, I mean, it was literally like, (laughs) I am hanging on by a thread here, people. Uh, And and also at the same time, learning not to judge myself for that, because um, 
just a human experience and not be in judgment of it, but like, wow, this is different. This is new, noticing it, being willing to share with people. And then ultimately, I think I came to a two different conclusions. One is I, at, even in the middle of everything, had the exact same amount of control that I always have had. What I was missing was planning. Mm. And it's easy to conflate planning and control. Like I can schedule my life and that seems like I have control. But the reality is I, I don't. I have the same control. I can, I can control myself, my attitude, you know, how, who I am for people, what I choose to give or not give. That I can control. Um, how, you know, my health, my sleep, that those kind of things. Um, and that hasn't changed. So even in the middle of a pandemic, that specific piece didn't change, even though it felt like it did, because I'm, you know, I'm a planner, I'm a box checker. So I, I like that, that feels good to me. Uh, and I think the other piece was at some point, uh, mid to late April last year, I just had to die to everything that I loved in in the world of facilitation. And I, that, I guess that could sound kind of morbid, but for me, I just got to the place I said, die, let's just pretend, let's just say never ever again in the history of the world will you get to facilitate in front of a group of people. You, you'll, you just, what you love to do the way you love to do it is now dead. So grieve that, mourn that, be with that and, and then and then see what happens. And so I did, I just got there and I spent some time just letting that go, grieving that, mourning that. Um, and even though that probably sounds horrible and depressing, it actually was, it birthed some hope in me. So mm. then I was like, okay, now what? Because what I do isn't who I am. I have a particular methodology that I, I love and I certainly love people and being not in front of people or not, it doesn't change who I am and, and the way I like to give and, and what I give. Uh, I just have this method, right, that I that I really like and I still love it. And I've, as the year went on, I was able to do a couple of in-person trainings and I have a couple coming up um, in the next month or so that I'm really looking forward to. But I think that reset for me really helped me stay buoyant as it as things moved along and also be with people in, in whatever they were in. You know, I had a lot of friends that came right out of the gate and they're like, this is great. We're going to recreate our whole lives and reinvention. And I'm sitting here going, what are you even talking about? I can't get there from here. Right. Um, but then six months later, they, you know, hit the crash. I think we all just, everybody was doing the best they can. Right. And so yeah. that was my version of the best I could do was, was dying and coming back alive again. <laughs> I, I love all that you shared, and there's some things I want to unpack specifically. The distinction between controlling and planning. I, I'm wondering if we can explore that a little more, because as you're talking about it, I'm thinking of my own life personally and professionally. Sure. And it's it's really interesting, because I realize that, too. It's, it's funny, as you were talking about that, I just had a flashback to the first time I went skydiving. And the first time I went skydiving, I had the guy as my tandem buddy who was this person that when we pulled up this guy was out there talking really crazy and looked like he was bananas and we all thought god we don't want to get stuck with him yeah and then of course i'm the one that gets stuck with him <laughs> and i remember when we're we're getting geared up and stuff before we go he's telling me there's not a 
effing thing that you can control up there. So you just follow my instructions. And I was terrified of this guy. So, okay, you know, whatever. And when you start to free fall, you, you really do have to let go of control and surrender to something else. And so I, I bring that up because as you were saying that, I had a flashback to that. Mm. And it's true. I feel, I realize that I'm often, in some of the moments I've struggled through this whole thing, I've struggled because I've been telling myself, I, I don't like not being able to control these things. But the truth is in hearing you talk is that there's a lot of things that I can still control. I still have that same access to it. It's, it's the stuff that I've planned and not being able to plan the way I normally would yeah. has been what has been so debilitating at moments for me. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was just hugely helpful for me to come to that reality. And I, like most people, I, I like to feel like I'm in control. <laughs> so uh, it's easy to slip into that illusion, if you will, um, when we can plan our lives and in our schedules and our color coded calendars and, you know, all of our engagements and, you know, the things that, that we do on a regular basis, uh, it, it just gives us the illusion that we've figured it out and we've got it handled. And really none of that is ever guaranteed. It just seems like it in the moment. Yeah. It's comforting. <laughs> it's discomforting. But really what we, you know, the only control is I can control myself. And sometimes I do that better than other times. But yeah, that's really where it's at. For those who have struggled with that control dynamic and planning, how might they be able to retool their mindset to embracing this notion that it's not so much control, it's really about planning for them? I think, well, I th for me, I started just asking myself, what do I get to control? Mm. And then I would, in a sense, list that the same way I would list a schedule. Like I get to control my attitude towards what's happening today or towards my family or towards people that I'm connected to. I get to control um, how I take care of my physical health. You know, am I still going to exercise? Am I going to do anything like it's just that relationship to discipline and personal, um, you know, taking care of yourself. I get to control, I get to choose what I eat. I get to choose what I take intake, whether it's Netflix, books, uh, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I really did a lot of breath work during that time, which was hugely, hugely helpful. Just keeping my physical body, like my state relaxed and calm. And I focused a lot on sleep, sleep hygiene, just how am I sleeping? You know, when am I sleeping? How do I get my maximum sleep and really focus on that so that everything else works well? So I, that to me was, those are some very specific things that I can control. Um, and then even the little, a little planning, if it was like, I'm going to go for a walk with my girlfriend or meet so-and-so for coffee outside, six feet apart, <laughs> you know, that was still something that I could, I could do and that I enjoyed. Uh, so it was really just rolling back. I think a lot of it was rolling back the pace as well mm. that I had been running at for so so long I mean normally I'm on the road at least half the month and so not being on the road at all was a, just a huge interruption to that that pace so it was a lot of finding a new rhythm for me and being being with that new rhythm as just as exciting as and important as the other one you also mentioned grieving the what if almost like what if mm -hmm. this never happens what if I can never go back and I've my observation with folks over this last year has been 
I think some who have struggled the most, notwithstanding the actual challenges that have come into place, whether it's been on their business, their health, their family's health, whatever it is, have been in almost this kind of, it's been living in this, I can't wait till it goes back to normal. Yeah. Right. And it's like this false hope that all of a sudden we're going to wake up one day, we're going to snap out of this and we're going to go back to life <laughs> before, yeah, before everybody started panic buying toilet paper and then all the, all this happened. And it sounds like for you, that process of actually sitting with the real, the reality that it could, it may not never go back to that was quite, it was, it was, it was a moment, it was this process of grief, but it was actually ended up being quite freeing and mm-hmm. almost maybe liberating. Yeah, I think so. But I, I, in some ways, I think grieving can be a liberating process, even though, you know, most of us don't, don't enjoy grieving. We don't look for things to grieve. Like, what can I grieve today? You know, it, it's, yeah. it's painful. Uh, and I do think it's, it can be very uh, liberating in the way that it, it, I mean, for me, it was acknowledging something that I really loved and missed. And at the same time, almost like giving permission to release that and to be with some new expression, uh, which I needed for me. I needed to just go all the way there to move through. And I, I think even though it's just was extreme, I was thinking there was, there's a samurai saying die before going into battle. And I, I was thinking about that saying and I thought, yeah, if you don't die before you go into battle, then you're so busy protecting your life that you probably lose your life, right? And it's, it's a way to maintain like, presence and courage. And so I think for me, it was, it was similar to that. Jean, in a previous conversation you and I had, we were talking about your vast experience and working around the world. And you had shared with me a couple of stories about Afghanistan and the mm-hmm. impact of that experience. I was hoping you might be able to share some of that here because what particularly, what specifically you shared with me was just so impactful. And I think it's such a, an amazing perspective to offer folks who might not be in those kinds of conditions. Yeah, you know, there was so much of that. I did a four years of a project there, different projects. And one of them was helping develop curriculum and then do some facilitation for a women's empowerment project that um, that continued for, for several years that was amazing. And learning, meeting women from all walks of life. So we had women that were coming from villages that had traveled for days and days just to come to the center for two days of training. Uh, and then we had, you know, a member of parliament, we had women that were in the police department, but really being with uh, all these different women in, in that culture in varying degrees of um, adherence to their faith. So some women would be fully burkhed, some women just the chatter, so, you know, so, so it was all different. Um, but listening to their stories and the just the strength and resilience of their lives. And uh, one woman just started talking one day about how she had decided to do a, a school for girls in her home. And it was, um, she had to keep it a secret. There was Taliban in the neighborhood, obviously looking out for that in the village that she lived in no education for girls was permitted. Um, And she just 
just just felt she had to do it. And what was fascinating is I'm asking the women as we start, I'm talking about vision, asking about vision. And in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder, I wonder how this is going to connect or who's going to connect. And she stands up and shares this. And in that very unassuming way, did she did something that was inherently dangerous and risky and could have easily ended up in her death. And when I asked her, why did you do it? She said, I had to, I had to, it wasn't, it wasn't going to get done. And I, I learned so much about that. There's the strength and the power, especially in the circumstances where people feel powerless, uh, women, especially in that culture uh, felt powerless and did not have certain types of power, but still exercised a lot of power in their internal uh, strength and courage and resilience. So being able to you know, illuminate that and encourage that, I don't know, it was, it was really very meaningful. The people uh, of Afghanistan, in my experience, extremely hospitable, very generous. Uh, I mean, I had wonderful experiences there. Yes, sometimes I was terrified because uh, it's, I look really different from most yeah. people who live there. So I stood out and that wasn't always a good thing sometimes. Um, but I was there during several attacks and bombings and I could hear and feel the effects of what was happening around me multiple times. And I really wouldn't trade it for anything. It was, it was such an incredible eye-opening experience. And just learning that no matter where I go, people are people, people are in the same conversations internally. And I know that, I know we are different in a lot of ways and that's, that's important. And that also is beautiful. And the way that we're similar is beautiful and important. So people are in these, like, does my life make a difference? Can, you know, can I make it count? Uh, what am I here for? What's my purpose? These are normal human conversations that I've heard literally everywhere I've ever been. I, show, I so appreciate you sharing that. And as a testament to the hospitable, hospitability and kindness of the Afghan people, I'll share this with you. One of my best friends who I've known since we were probably this high, he's in the military and he was stationed over there. And his mm -hmm. unit was actually appointed to help train the Afghan army to replace the U.S. army as they pulled out. And he's a commanding officer. So one of his first task when he gets in into a duty point is to go in and basically meet up with the, the I think it's called the, the position's called the water mallet. It's essentially the person who's designated in the village to control the water. And in this particular village, the person who is appointed to that job was somebody who's appointed by the Taliban. And of yeah. course, when my friend gets there, the guy's, you know, hostile because my friend's telling him, hey, you know, you need to do this and blah, blah. And he's all, you know, who do you think you are? You can't come in and tell me that in my home. And these, there's no electricity, no indoor plumbing, nothing like that. And my friend, he was he was sharing the story with me. He had this thought. He said, well, actually, I, I can tell you what to do. You know, I'm the one with the U.S. military behind me. But he said, he's all, he, he said something similar to what you just said. He said, wait, people are people. And he focused on finding these commonalities with this guy. They started talking about their families and their friends and their faiths. And it turned out that they both had fathers who they were concerned about their health from everything mm -hmm. going on. And and over the next several months, they started to form a friendship. And one day my friend goes to meet up with him and he wasn't there. It turned out he had gone into, I think, Kabul, Kabul, Kabul was the major city to see his father. 
Well, anyways, my friend leaves, not thinking anything, goes back to the army base via Humvee. And several hours later, someone comes in and says, hey, I think the guy is, the watermelon's out in front of the base. So sure enough, they go out there and he's sitting out, sitting in the dirt from the base. You know, he was sitting far away because an Afghan man approaching the U.S. Army base can be a little. And what had transpired was, is when my friend had been there and he wasn't there and he came back and found out that out, he thought that he defended my friend because in his mm-hmm. culture, you're supposed to be there to receive somebody who's your friend and offer them food and drink and everything. So he walked three hours through the you know, whatever, to get to the U.S. Army base, to then sit out in front of the U.S. Army base for however long, just to apologize to my friend. And mm. my friend was saying that he came and he sat out there with them and they sat for the next two, three hours in the middle of the Afghan desert from the U.S. Army base in the dirt, talking about their families, talking about their friends. And it's, it's, it's to that point of people being people. And I think one of the tragedies of this last year has been we've, in the midst of all this, we've done so much to forget sometimes the humanity in all of us. Mm. And forget that, gosh, there's these people over here and over there who have the same, they're going through that same inner journey with hopes, dreams, and experiences like ours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about leadership. Yeah. Working with big companies like Disney, ESPN, Microsoft, BMW, United Airlines, what what are the two or three things that you see they execute on extremely well? And leadership. What could we all learn about leadership from companies like that? That's a great question. I, I mean, they're on. They're all very, very different. But um, in my experience, the leadership, the things that are consistent in those, all those companies, was they're really clear on their vision. What are we here to have happen? And at the same time, there's a level of care about the people. Mm. So it's like that both things are happening. So we're, it's like the results and the people are together. Uh, I know some organizations, they focus on the results and forget, you know, forget the people, they just turn and burn. Uh, and obviously uh, that's, that's just a reality. I think that organizations that do culture really well are focused on the people and the results and in creating an environment where there's some enjoyment, there's relationship, there's people enjoy coming to work. They can connect the dots between this little piece I'm doing over here and this bigger picture that I'm serving so that there's also an internal connection to purpose. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want people that are just right, stamping their time card. You want people that are gonna go above and beyond for the customer. And people don't do that unless they feel cared for and connected to, to a purpose bigger than themselves. And I think great companies do that part really well. I absolutely love that. And it's, it's so incredible to hear because I think when we're outside looking in at these big companies that are brand names and household names, it's, it's kind of like that celebrity effect where when we see somebody on TV or we see an athlete, we think that they must not be human in some way, that they're so different than us, right? Life's perfect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that they got it all figured out and they're just doing all these things. They must have like some sort of super serum or something like that. But what I'm hearing is, is that the super serum that they're doing is they're actually doing the human piece maybe a little bit better than most other companies are that they're really digging in deep and doubling down on that caring piece. Yeah, and I, of course it's different, different you know, managers, different leaders are different levels, but yeah, 100%, because I think that 
everything translates to the bottom line. And this is what gets missed sometimes uh, in any relationship, corporate or personal, is that all the attitudes, all the actions, all the inactions, silences, it all translates to the bottom line. So if you've got people worried about their jobs every day, then their productivity is gonna go down because that's a lot of energy being expended. And any energy that's going somewhere else isn't going towards, hey, this is what I'm here for. And it's easy to get captured right by your thoughts and in, be in your head about, oh my gosh, I hope I don't get in trouble. I, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna do this. I can't say this. That's a lot of energy. Mm. And people aren't gonna be creative in that environment because they're, they're necessarily not gonna wanna take risks. I've always been so impressed with every time I've attended Disneyland and I haven't attended as frequently as I'd have liked to, but- Not in the last year anyhow. <laughs> yeah, definitely not last year. Actually, I got there, was it in 2019 or 2018? So fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. But I'm always so impressed when you go through any part of Disneyland, there is not one employee there who doesn't is not smiling or who looks like they're unhappy with their job and what's even more amazing about that is how impeccably clean yes. Disneyland stays. And you think about the volume of people moving through there constantly and oh. the amount of scraps of paper because everybody gets a little pamphlet when they come in and the snacks and stuff and the water bottles. And especially in the warm summer days when everybody's grabbing ice cream and water and whatnot, you never see trash on the ground. Yeah, it's crazy. It's incredible. Yeah. I remember reading a book one time on Disney and this was, I was so impressed by this too. They were saying that one of the things that when you, you got hired into the executive team or at least in upper leadership, that every single person had to go and spend, I don't know if it was a full day or at least an afternoon in the heat, in the Southern California heat, wearing one of the character costumes mm. and to walk around and interact. And I don't know if Disney still does as a practice. This was back in, in under, in Eisner's leadership and before, but they said the purpose that was is to have that, that linking piece, right? For whoever's on the top to understand what the people at the bottom are doing. And I know Richard Branson from Virgin has talked about doing stuff like that too. He routinely still shows up and does concession stands on the Virgin planes or, you know, yeah. those kinds of things or Spartans on the Virgin ships. Yeah, I think that's great. And just that willingness to jump in, right? And it's, it, it's, it's a form of empathy, if you will. Right? If you're empathizing, you're putting literally putting yourself in someone else's shoes by performing whatever task or job that they're uh, doing. And you, can, you, see, you see the world differently when you do that. That's really interesting. I never considered it that way. That's cool. I like that. Hmm. For those of us, I think one of the things that's been really interesting through this this last year. So the time we're recording this is St. Patrick's Day of 2021. And we're now effectively, yeah, as you just noted earlier, probably a year into this whole thing here in the US. One of the things that's been really fascinating for me to observe is I feel like there's a lot of people who are looking to become more or a better or just become some sort of leader. And I think that is large part stem from realizing that whole dynamic of control and planning that we encountered earlier. Okay, things aren't going to be how it always is. So I need to step up and maybe leadership for them is being a better family member, a better friend, a better leader in their community, taking more political interest. So 
I know this is a big, broad, general question, but if you had one go-to leadership suggestion, piece of advice that you could leave listeners and viewers with today, that if they were to really hone in on one leadership skill, that would be the difference that makes a difference down the road, what might that be? Hmm. Um, I would say really maintaining a learning mindset, you know, being willing to question the things that you've decided that you already know, or the way that you've categorized people like they're like this, or this person's like that, or, and be, and maintain an openness to that. So like, I'm challenging my own assumptions, even about the people I work with, even about myself, because uh, our assumptions about ourselves are very strong as well. So this assumptions aren't bad or wrong. Some of the times they're hundred percent accurate and mm. they also can create very specific blind spots. So I'm not going to investigate something that I already know. I can't, I can't learn something I already know. So once I've decided, I, I know that I know Jesse, Jesse's like this, he's that he's not that da, 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 da. then I'm going to lose my willingness to be present with you. Cause even in my listening, as you're talking, I'm going to be a little bit, yeah, that sounds like Jesse. No, no, that's weird. He doesn't, I don't know what that means. Da, 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 da. And my um, self-editing in selection comes into play. So I think just that willingness to stay open and about myself so I can hear feedback when it comes my way, but also about other people because people are dynamic. Um, people can shift and they can change and there is context for our behaviors. And when we forget that or we lose sight of that, we really lose that ability to stay connected and to stay learning and continue our growth. And I think most leaders are experts in some field. That's why they're there, right? Um, and I think that's a challenge when you're an expert is to maintain a learning mindset and be an expert at the same time. So that just navigating that tension. Jean, we're about at our time. And before I ask my final question, where's the best place for people to find and connect with you online? Great, thank you. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Jean Marie Jobs. I have a YouTube channel, also Jean Marie Jobs. Um, my corporate training is yellowmarker.com, like the color yellow and then marker like a highlighter, yellowmarker.com. And then my nonprofit is GAP Community, G-A-P Community.com. So lots of different places. What are you most excited about? You know, now we're a year later from the COVID time and looking into the future. What are you most excited about for the future? One thing I am most excited about right now is the what, how we can redesign our culture or our society, our relationships post or mid, if it never actually fully goes away, um, this pandemic experience, because it's, it is a shared experience. It's a global shared experience. And I don't know that, at least in my lifetime, I can say that there's anything else that I can point to that's been a, a global shared experience. And I feel like in, in a lot of ways that really gives us a huge opportunity to, to connect with people, to be empathetic, to pay attention to some of the things that this season has really highlighted uh, for all of us. Obviously some of the issues with um, society, with justice, with a lot of things there for sure. And also building a base for, you know, listen, we're all actually in this together for real. It doesn't matter if you're in a first world country or a fourth world country, we are all 
in this same storm, if you will. We're all in different boats, but we're in the same storm together. And how can we navigate this together? So I think I'm excited about that possibility and new ways of people connecting and staying connected and uh, listening and hearing each other with fresh ears. I love that. Everyone, my goodness, are you going to want to rewatch and re-listen this one? Jean Marie took us on such an incredible journey that covered both, both personal and professional, that covered humanity and leadership and how both uniquely intersect. We talked about the separation and difference between control and planning, and boy, was that an aha moment for me. How many of us have been struggling with the notion that we can't control only to realize, perhaps in what Jean shared with us today or just in our own epiphanies, that it's not so much about control, it's our inability to plan. And perhaps in putting it on control and not plan, we don't want to acknowledge the power that we do have to control, especially when it comes to things like those behaviors, our thoughts, our feelings, and our attitudes. Boy, I'm reminded as we talk about that of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and him to discovering that the thing that he can control above all else, even amidst the torture and he endured at the hands of the Nazis, that no one could take away his freedom to choose his attitude. Yes. What an important lesson to make relevant again today. And we went from there and looked about the idea of grieving the what if. Gosh, how many of us have spent so much time hoping for the new, hoping for normal to return, just waiting to go back. I can't wait to go back and think about what that statement says. I can't wait. It's like you're in waiting, you're passive, even though life is moving around you versus allowing yourself permission to just feel what's on your heart, which for many of us, it is some sort of sense of grief. As Jean shared, this has been a very uniquely human experience. In that uniquely human experience, all of us have lost in some capacity, whether it's been the death of a loved one, an end of a relationship, a loss of a sense of safety, a sense of community, a familiarity with jobs and how we would do things, a planning for the family vacation, giving yourself permission to grieve the what if. And then, it, and then from that, you can birth, as Jean said, some sort of new what could be, what can tomorrow become, what can I create today? And from there, we transitioned to talking about some leadership stuff, looking at the big companies like Disney and United Airlines and ESPN and some of the things that they do uniquely well that separates them from the rest. And it came down to people. They're experts at creating culture and community around, giving their employees not just a job, but a sense of purpose, something that they're willing to go above and beyond day after day for because they're deeply invested in the vision. For those of us who are listening, who are entrepreneurs, who are running companies, no matter how small or big, this is an incredible opportunity to ask ourselves, how clear am I on my vision? How clear am I on the company's vision? How clear is my team on the company's vision? And are we all united in it? As Jean said, everything, all human behaviors are going to affect the bottom line, for better or worse. And you might just find that in surveying your teams, if there is a disconnect in vision, if you don't have all your people uniquely tied to a greater sense of purpose, if you're not creating a culture, intentionally creating a culture that has a little fun and joy in it, you might be leaving a lot on the table when it comes to your bottom line. Jean Marie, this has been such an incredible time with you. Thank you so very much for sharing as generously as you have today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's been a pleasure. You're very welcome. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to